Hello and welcome to the Under the Spotlight podcast with me, Michael Dryden and Etches Adokru. This episode is the first instalment of our Managers Under the Spotlight series, uh, brought to you by Breaking the Lines and Why Football. Today, I am pleased to say we are joined by Will Furness. Will is a writer for Breaking the Lines and Spurs editor for Vavel. Will has joined us today to discuss Antonio Conte, his time at Spurs so far, whether he and Daniel Levy will continue to see eye to eye, and we'll discuss whether Antonio Conte will be a success during his tenure um, at Spurs. So, Will, welcome to the show. Happy New Year to you. How are you doing? Very good, thank you. Thanks, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to talk about Spurs and Conte as always, and I'm glad you didn't ask me about a month ago because it would have been a lot more <laughs> depressing. But yeah, I'm, I'm actually quite excited to talk about Spurs, which is quite a sign of how he's doing. It's always nice. It's always nice to have something good to say. Um, so yeah, I mean, if we'd possibly recorded this during Nuno Espirito Santo's reign as well, it might have been a very different, <laughs> might have been a very different conversation. A very different tone, I think. <laughs> and uh, and Eches, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Um, my mood's been dampened a little bit because obviously I don't really want a Spurs fan on the podcast in good spirits. So <laughs> it's, up, it's, up, it's, up, it's up to me to try and um, put the difficult questions to Will to kind of um, lower expectations. But no, I think he, he he does. I can imagine why Spurs fans are so happy because, uh, yeah, Conte has brought some positivity back to um, mm. back to the, back to back to Tottenham because, yeah, I can't lie. The thing about Nuno Espirito Santo is, you know, he didn't, you're not going to invite him to the birthday party to cheer people up, are you? Like he was a pretty drab guy. Didn't really have a great deal of energy, and the results weren't there. <laughs> oh. I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't invite Antonio Conte over because he's likely to be shouting at your five year old son. But <laughs> but he does deliver on the pitch, and ultimately that's uh, that's the aim of the game, right? <laughs> exactly. Like yeah, as you said with Nuno, it's like um, probably the, one of the worst appointments after Mourinho I've ever seen because he sort of just has a lot of Mourinho tendencies. If you got, I mean, like you said, a bit low energy and stuff like that. So that that appointment does baffle me most days. And and we we found out he was second choice or third choice or fourth choice or fifth choice right away, which I found was so mad. Like usually yeah. you find these things out once they're sacked or you know two years down the line in Nuno's autobiography. It's like stunning, re- <laughs> stunning rendition of his time at Spurs. But actually, we found out on day one <laughs> he was like fifth choice. And then yeah, I mean the, the summer was um. It was quite something from a fan's perspective, to be honest. Going through, I think it, it was probably about tenth choice, genuinely. And even Conte was one of the managers that we approached, and that didn't that didn't go off. But yeah, I don't think it's never gonna never gonna go well. When I think Nuno himself knew that he was probably about tenth choice. Mm. Yeah, it's it's always difficult. I mean, the shining light for that one, which is going a bit off topic, is I know um, Patrick Vieira was quite low down Palace's list. I think he had about four candidates ahead of him. Nuno was one of them. I can't remember the other three. I think Eddie Howe. Um, I think Nuno was one of them. Yeah, Nuno, Eddie Howe and a few others. Um, but yeah, he, he he's doing a good job at Palace now. But kind of moving back on to all things Tottenham. So obviously we're doing this with Breaking the Lines. You have a fair few articles on the Breaking the Lines site discussing a variety of to- uh, topics. Um, because you said you're in good spirits, um, I can only assume uh, that you're a Tottenham fan. How long have you been uh, following the club for? What would you say your earliest memory of being a Spurs fan is? Yeah, well, Spurs was sort of how I fell in love with football. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm from Essex and so not far from London at all and was lucky enough to have a season ticket for about, I think, about eight years. Um, okay. 
which mm. stopped when we moved to the new stadium. So I oversaw some good times, but mainly some quite bad times as well. Yeah. And then because of that, I wanted to become a football journalist. So I'm currently at my last year at Derby University studying football journalism. And then from that sort of stemmed on to tactical analysis. And that's why I write for Breaking the Line. So it's, it's natural for me to write about Spurs. Hopefully that the articles don't come across to um, fan from a fan's point of view. <laughs> Hopefully not, but I try my best. But yeah, my earliest memory is probably just Probably Juan de Ramos. Do you know who Juan de Ramos is? Uh, I know who Juan de Ramos is. You want to know who I know who Juan de Ramos is? Because I think Tottenham won every single game of pre-season yeah. when, he, when he came in. And then I, I, I think he started the season terribly. Yeah, we like, did. I can't, I can't... What was it? What was the record? Do you remember it was like a big thing. It was like, oh, Juan de Ramos. I can't remember the scores off the top of my head. But I know that Tottenham absolutely smashed pre-season. And we won the League Cup. Yeah, 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 yeah. So everyone was quite excited, and then we lost every game pretty much. And then Redknapp <laughs> came in, so then it got a bit better. But yeah, yeah, yeah. One day Ramos, what a throwback that is. Yeah, <laughs> I remember him. Uh, so kind of moving on to Antonio Conte himself. You know, why do you think he he went for Spurs? You know, looking at the types of clubs he's gone for, this marks a slight change in approach in terms of wealth of the club, um, in particular with Chelsea and Juventus as well, because they at the time they had a monopoly over Syria. The squad as well, most of the squads he's been at, Inter included as well, have had, I'd, I'd say, more winners ready to, 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 to challenge for the top trophies. You think of Lukaku, Hakimi, um, you know, the Chelsea side as well with Costa and, and, and those players. And also the status, I think Tottenham have been in and amongst some of the better teams in the past eight or so years, but haven't actually been um, elite winners compared to the previous clubs I mentioned. So so why did you think he actually looked to Spurs? Yeah, I think I think that's a, that's a fair statement in terms of the status and, and wealth of the squad. If you look at, you know, Juventus, Chelsea, Inter Milan, I think we'd all agree that Tottenham haven't, quite got the CV to, to compete with those clubs. But in terms of why he joined, and if you look at the sort of state, if you could say, of the clubs that he did join, especially Juventus, Chelsea and Inter Milan, all quite in similar positions to Spurs. So Juventus were, I believe, finished seventh in the previous season, hadn't won the Serie A for about 10 years. And then he takes over, they win they win the Serie A. When, when he took over Chelsea, they were, they I think they just finished 10th or, or 9th. And then when he took over Inter, they they hadn't won the Scudetto for an, another ten years. Ironically, he actually started Juve streak and then and then ended it. Um, but in terms of, I think it's clear to say that he, he enjoys rebuilding squads if he can see the potential for the end game, which I think he could, can at Tottenham because of what we've built off the pitch, if that makes sense. But in terms of, for me, I think he has to be in promised transfers, certain funds, because we've seen that Inter Milan. Um, specifically that, you know, he, he left as soon as there were financial troubles starting to build and he knew that he couldn't build in the foundations that he made there through winning this area. So I believe that he has been promised transfers of funds. And I think Paratishi as well, the sporting director, was was huge in instigating the move. I don't think Conte comes to Tottenham without Paratishi there because he worked with him under Juventus, had a very successful three or four year period with the sporting director and Without him, I don't think he has the lure of coming because in his eyes, he can see a rebuild there and he can see that a sporting director that he's worked with before who he also had to rebuild a Juventus side, albeit with, yes, better players than Tottenham. But Conte obviously backs his, his coaching abilities and you can see why because if you think about it, if he gets Tottenham to that next level of winning trophies, competing in Champions every year, it's 
technically one of the best things he's done in his career because no other managers managed to do it. So you, you can certainly see why, in my opinion, in any way. Yeah, no, I, can, I, can, I think that's a, that's a pretty good answer. Um, kind of going on from that as well, do, do you think it's a case of didn't get the United job and went to Spurs? I've always been in the middle. I'm not too sure United wanted him as much as the media kind of projected and I wasn't sure if Conte wanted to go there as much or do you think it was more of a case of as you just said you know the opportunity uh, to actually propel Spurs forward is actually a pretty good one it's a tough one you know I do remember seeing some news reports come out about him being interested in the Man United job and maybe it's just the fan of me that says no he he wanted Spurs from the start but um, I'm not sure it's, it's hard to answer because you could see the law of Man United as well you know bringing Man United back to, to, to where they were, or even close to where they were, would be an unbelievable achievement. Considering when you when you watch them play, like last night, last night for instance, you know you see how far off they are to be in an elite <laughs> club. So I can I can see you can certainly see why he would have wanted the United job, but it, it would be a very different job for the ones he's previously taken over, where he has to sort of start again with United. It's, it's strange because they've sort of got what they want on paper, but they haven't got it on the pitch. So. I think it would have been an easier job than the Tottenham one, to be honest, <laughs> for him because of, because of his coaching abilities. But an interesting one. And I, I think it was a case. I think Tottenham did sack Nuno because they feared that United would would go in for him because it was it was around the same time that um, Nuno and Ole were rumored to lose their jobs. So I, I think Spurs acted just quicker than United, in, in mm. my opinion. Yeah, I think if you look at the pattern of United appointments over the last like well few appointments. And in particular, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, I just wonder whether or not a, a regime like United and the, the execs at the top really wanted to have someone like Conte in there. I was, so many of us have scratched our head as to why Solskjaer was the man for so long. And is it because it was a control thing? And with Conte, that's the opposite, isn't it? Yeah, f- first of all, I think I think Levy and Conte is probably a, a divorce waiting to happen. Um, <laughs> Levy is sort of famous for wanting control over managers similar to the situation at Man United that you just suggested you know and you know Levy you can't get that with Conte because Conte wants control over transfers he wants everything done to the most minute detail but as I said Paratish is a middleman probably smooths it over a bit as well as Levy essentially beggars can't be choosers and the situation we're in is that Conte's a proven winner and he's built Tottenham off the pitch and now it's time to build us on the pitch and if anyone's going to do that you know, with like next day delivery, it's it's Conte. So I think all the, all the cards are in Conte's um, hands, essentially. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can't say I disagree with that one. It'll be interesting to see how those two go on. We've got a few more questions about that uh, later on. So when talking about Tottenham, and obviously you're sitting here with a big smile on your face because they've, they've been <laughs> winning a few games lately. Uh, they're in beating, I think, eight in the league. Uh, I saw a stat where they've increased the number of shots on average, which I don't really like that metric because, you know, if you're kicking the ball from 50 yards, it doesn't really matter if you're having more of them than the box. However, they're averaging more goals. I mean, the big stat, which I quite liked, um, is they're running a lot more. I think it's 14k more per average per 90 minutes, which is a big difference. I think Spurs have gone from 20th on the noon to first in the league now um it's a small pool uh, of information but would you say this is the new spurs or is it manager bounce and the reason why i highlight is it manager bounce is because against southampton everton liverpool and palace a man was sent off and tottenham played 
in those games. I know that Tottenham, I, I thought they were brilliant against Liverpool. Um, they were shaky against Southampton until their red card. I, I didn't catch the Everton game. So is it a mixture of, you know, this is here to stay. This is the champagne football that Spurs fans deserve. Or are we riding through a bit of a wave of new manager, new ideas, new uh, new team sort of thing? And it might plateau out a little bit later on. Well, you, you do look at the fixture list, first of all, and I think that's a fair point to bring up to, to level the playing field a bit in terms of it was, it has been a nice run of fixtures in the Premier League, definitely. I think we had about five games at home in a row. It was weird how the, obviously we had some called off like Burnley and Leicester, but mainly we've been at home the whole way of playing teams that probably will finish in, in the bottom half of the table. So that that is a fair point. But I think mass, if you just watch Tottenham and watch Dosan Danuno, it is, it is a completely different ball game in terms of the stats that you br- you bring up, you know, 2.3 points per game so far, average around 2.0 XG a game, which is a massive, vast improvement on the Conte, creating more, def- defending better. You know, I think we had 10.2 or 10.3 shots on Danuno, which was the lowest in the league at the time. That's already gone up to about 12.8. And the covering, the gr- covering ground is, is quite an incredible stat. I think it is important that Nuno's football, in essence, he wants us to cover as little ground as possible through off the ball work and being rigid off the off off the ball. And then his idea is that you know on the ball stuff will come if if you do the off the ball work. So it, obviously that brings context to it. But then you look at the two styles of content and you can see how we've we're number one in the league. You know he demands that energy from the off, and I think it's testament to his him as a coach. Sorry that we're already running the most in the league because that's a hard thing to embed into play straight away, especially a club that for how long since Poch? Two years since Poch, we weren't asked to do the, you know, off the ball work that we were at Poch. I remember on the Poch, you know, every year we, we were sort of first or second in terms of distance covered and all of a sudden to, to transfer into a manager again after two years of not having that straight away, to demand that sort of football. I think it's testament to him as a coach to, to basically coach players that aren't used to covering that sort of distance to almost get those sort of results instantly. I think that is that is testament to Conte as a coach that he's already got, got this team running the, the way that he'd like. And what's scary is that he probably wants more. <laughs> so I, I don't know, in, in a couple of weeks' time, we could see even more KM, KM run. But it, it is impressive. The, the ground is what I look at as the most as being like this, this Spurs team could become a a true Conte team because already you see the distances we're covering and you look at his best Chelsea team, best Inter team, they're all covering similar sort of distances throughout the season. So as a fan, it makes you think that this this sort of thing could be here to stay. I mean, as you rightly said, is if he's got a similar style at other clubs, it's good that he's managed to implement at least part of it at Tottenham. And you, you know, you you alluded to the fact of the good Conte teams and what they look like. You know, we're beginning to see that version, as you rightly discussed at Spurs. In one of your articles on BTL, you discussed um, about how key ball playing defenders are in Conte setups. So we're talking about um, David Luiz, um, Andrea Barzagli, Bonucci. Um, even Skriniar is a good ball-playing defender as well um, at previous clubs, um, which he kind of lacks at Tottenham. Um, and, and how much of a hindrance will this be, do you think, to his style at Tottenham? Or will this highlight one of, I think, Conte's greatest skills, which is maximising his resources? Again, um, 
if we were to discuss yeah, another article, which is probably my favourite, um, the revamp of Ben Davis, um, you know, and, and and his role in the Tottenham side. I'm not saying Ben Davis is going to become the ball playing centre that Tottenham needed, but it's one of those things where could it potentially we see another player filling that void, or will Spurs need to address that really quickly? Yeah, ball playing centre backs are a huge, huge hallmark of a Conte side. The, the three defenders all sort of have a role in the first phase, phase of build-up, as well as when teams do sit back, um, they're key in terms of their underlapping runs, balls over the top. And again, under Nuno and Mourinho, there wasn't much of an emphasis on this. You know, their work on the ball, the two centre-backs mainly were very basic. You could see that in the opening Conte games against sort of Everton and Leeds, where we were pressed quite aggressively and the defenders sort of didn't really know what to do. They sort of naturally just hit it long to the striker, which we saw a lot of under the previous managers. But Spurs weren't trying to do this. You know, there weren't really... Um, Son or Lucas weren't really in positions to pick up the second ball. So you can tell it wasn't an intention and you can tell it was sort of a natural thing for these centre-backs just to kick it long when when being pressed. And that's why I did write that article. I, I did feel that Tottenham not having a natural foyer of, of ball-playing centre-backs would hinder how... Conte wants to play and I thought we'd potentially dip into the market in January or at least a maximum the summer to try and find them because Conte, you know, as I said before, he, to levy and that, he, he, will, he will demand that. But since that article, I've seen some improvement in this area, I'd say, you know, especially with Ben Davis, who also wrote the article about, you know, he's obviously playing at left centre-half. He's working the angles really well with his left foot, you know, sort of wrapping them balls in to Lucas and Son or, or Kane or even the centre midfielder like Skip. And, you know, having a left footer in centre-half is really important. It essentially, as I wrote in the mm, article, splits yeah. pitch in two. And obviously, Ben Davis, you know, it's quite crazy, really. You know, he's gone from, I'd say, third, potentially even third-choice left-back because many people wanted Ryan Sessignon to be um, start having chances as a backup to almost being one of our most important defenders. And that that, that is testament to to how to Conte and how quickly his ways come in. But as I said, yeah, working the angles well with his left foot and also underlapping runs. But Ben Davis has been really dangerous in terms of running in between the space that Regulon staying wide and Sun shifting to the half space. That that little avenue, Davis has been running in them and causing causing a lot of havoc actually. And, and you can see at Bastonia Inter that it was a very very similar role. And already that Ben Davis looks like he's performing similarly, and that, that's just testament to how Conte maximizes resources, as you said, because. Within eight games, Ben Davis looks like a completely different player, and um, similar to Dyer as well. I, I'd say, in a sense, you know, he's stepping out from the, from middle centre half, finding some excellent long range switches, even balls over the top against Liverpool. He was probably one of our most creative players in terms of finding runners in behind. And I think Dyer's always had that, but he hasn't really had the control or the manager that sort of gets it out of him. But again, that's similar to maybe maybe David Luiz, and he always used to switch the ball out to um, wing backs either side. So, yeah, you know, you can already see him working his magic in a sense with the back three because even a couple of weeks after that article, Conte's made my my piece look quite stupid. So, um, no, yeah, very impressed with how they've, they've taken to it. But I still think it probably is an area in which I would look to dip into the transfer market because I still think if Spurs are pressed well and, and aggressively, I still think you would see similar issues. But for sure, we've improved in that area in the last few weeks. Yeah, I think a lot of people would be scratching their head or have been around like Dyer's like kind of retained inclusion, but it can be so valuable in that system to have a player that can 
can move from say the center half role into almost like a CDM role yep. almost instantaneously because you can switch you can switch almost your formation your system straight away if you need to change intensity or you need to change um well your your shape as you look to maybe chase a game you're losing or whatever but go back to Aguilion and, and Davis it reminds me of Aspilicueta and the use of him at Chelsea under Conte um, and watching Spurs now, and I've seen a few games recently, Reguilon is so high. He was against Watford. He's almost like a left forward. Yeah, I think Reguilon was always was always one to watch. He has definitely suits um, the sort of role that you mentioned rather than a left back in a back four. I think he's mm. slightly too erratic, I'd say, for a position like that. I think he, he does have a mistake in him and he's not quite... Sometimes I just look at him and I think he just needs to take, just breathe, just take two seconds and then make your decision is a bit too erratic. And I think that's something that Conte can coach. But in terms of aggressively running into space created, born for the role, born for the role. It's just working on working on that moment where he just needs to calm himself down. But I think he I think he will do that. And I think Conte could see that. And I think that's an attribute that Sessignon has really well, which is he's quite calm and measured when he needs to be. But for sure, Regulon is suited for that role, given a license by Ben Davis tucking in behind him and also Skip or Hoiberg tucking in. To sort mm. of protect the space that, that he leaves and yeah, the, the the wing backs, as you said, essentially hugging the touchline is is huge in Conte side, stretching the pitch. We've seen that throughout his um his career. I think um yeah, definitely. Um I'm gonna take that advice uh, that you said about uh just breathing and relaxing when I next play Power League because I think I need to <laughs> implement implement that sort of style. Uh, Dryden, Dryden can adhere to that as well. Well, but, I thought um, you were going to say I thought you were going to say football manager. Uh... <laughs> Either or, I think I need it in both. But um, we, we discussed obviously the improvements that have been made for the likes of Ben Davies and um, as well even Eric Dyer. I think um, you mentioned a really good point when you've got centre halves that can step into midfield you, the, the angles of your attack change so much more and you become less predictable sides really get on you you know when they can press you high and they know you're limited they know you're a weak link they know you're going to hoof it and when you've got that option then sides kind of back off and think okay he's got a few options here so it's good to see that they're, they're improving but there are other players at Tottenham as well that you could argue are not first choice um, or potentially on the periphery. So, you know, we've got misfits such as Ali. Um, you did a piece again on his decline. You know, we saw improvements um, against Liverpool. Um, you know, he had, a, he had a good game overall and had two or three great half slash full chances to really score or, or cause some damage. But can his Spurs career really take off again under Conte? And what about the likes of Harry Winks? Um, I, I can guess where that one's going to lean. But also Undombele and Lacelso. The main question is, are, are we expecting a real big clear out with Tottenham under Conte? Do you think it's going to be more of a case of he will do what I think he does very well at most of his clubs, is really extracting the best out of his players and the resources that he does have? Yeah, there's always winners and losers of Conte. Every club he's been at, you know, it's sort of it's almost a guessing game now. Is who's he going to take to? Who's going to be sold? Because as we said, he does demand these things. You know, he demands players to be sold. He demands players to be kept. He demands just the highest from his players. And Deli Ali was sort of the first player you go to in a sense where he was obviously, as we know, and it's been told a hundred times, was a great player under Pochettino and then slowly, slowly declined into now just sort of a puzzle. I I struggle to see where he fits into Conte's system because I don't know what Deli Ali is at the minute. I don't, you know, at his best, he was a off-the-ball runner beyond Kane, beyond the last line of defence and sort of a penalty, penalty box finisher. 
which you caught, you sort of could describe as Sun's roles in the side quite loosely, even though they're, they're very different players. Um, they try to do similar things off the ball, and or could, is he going to mould into sort of a hard-working eight in a, in, in a three-five-two like we saw into Milan? That they're the only two ways I could see him fitting into the side. But I did enjoy his performance against Liverpool for sure. I'm just not sure what Conte has in plan for him because he's not starting every game and in press conferences, he's not suggesting that Delhi is a player that he is desperate to keep at all. And he's certainly, for me, not in Tottenham's best team at the minute. So for me, he has to sort of start impressing in cameos. Maybe tomorrow night in the Carabao Cup is a good chance for him. And I think he's at the sort of stage of his career where he has to impress with every minute he gets because for so long, he hasn't. And I think it's for Delhi for sure, it's... It's time. It's time to start because if he's not going to improve under Conte, I, ca- I can't see where his Spurs career is going. Because one, I think Conte will be here for at least two years, and two, you know, Conte's the man is to improve players instantly. And if if it's not Conte, then I'm not I'm not sure who it is. But in terms of other midfielders, you know, Winks, been really impressed with Winks in the minutes he's got under um, under Conte. Winks has always been well, was extremely under favour under previous managers, but. He's quite a quick, high-volume passer, not particularly progressive under previous managers, but really quick, tries to get the ball out of his feet, etc. Probably Spurs' best passer on it quickly. You know, he releases the ball quicker than Hoiberg and probably Skip, although Skip is very good at getting the ball and, and playing it. But it's really, Winks' attributes really useful in transition when you're trying to hit a team that are either pressing us high or play a high line. We saw that against um, Southampton the last week, although... Result was disappointing and Winks probably should have had an assist in that game, which was an extraordinary assist at that, where he put the ball over the top right onto Harry Kane's right foot. And I think that that sort of passing is, it's always been there, but it just needed that sort of coach like Conte to say, right, this is, these are the situations which you're going to do this. This is how you're going to do this. And Conte's so good at maximising his resources that already within two weeks, Harry Winks looks like, looks like a better player. And um, he, he was, again, he was a midfielder that, no, no one at Spurs would have been against selling in the summer, and all of a sudden, some I've seen Spurs fans everywhere call for him to be the starter with Skip now instead of Hoiberg. So, again, another testament to just how quickly things can change on the, under Conte. Fans forget in like they're like you know the people talk about goldfish and what gold, a goldfish's memory is well like ten yeah. seconds <laughs> over it. Fans forget in seconds. Like if you you could probably like I don't even know. You could do a lot of things as a as a player, but at the end of the day, if you perform the pitch, fans forget um, really quickly. On a side note, we've got this issue with Lukaku um, and Chelsea fans. Ben can never forgive him again, and I never listen to him or whatever. If Lukaku scores two goals, even tomorrow, they'll forget. <laughs> like it's just it's just it's just the nature of fans overall. I mean, we've got Granit Xhaka who who never actually apologised for. Uh, the shirt thing uh, against Burnley, he just said the fans, rightly so, the fans were making comments about my family. So why should I? So I think uh, I'm not I'm not surprised with Winks at all because yeah, it's literally about your last game, your last game, or if, a, a three or four games. If you do well, then then fans just forget really. But kind of moving on to um, Conte. And his, his general style. I think one of the questions I really wanted to ask someone like you on actually is, has his 
style adapted since his time at Chelsea. I think obviously the reason why I picked Chelsea was that's when we first saw him on English soil, or are his principles largely the same? The reason why I ask that is because there are a lot of managers that go away, are still successful, but they come back and we see something a little bit different. We've got managers like Klopp that's adopted more of a possession style at Liverpool compared to his what did he describe it? Techno, uh, metal football. Yeah. So he, he, even he's changed his style. We had Mourinho who claimed he's changed his style over the years as well. I wanted to know if you've noticed anything different about Conte this time, or are we largely seeing uh, the same principles being applied? For me, what makes Conte so good is that his overall principles have stayed the same throughout his career. You know, even in his early Serie B days for Atlanta, you still see the same principles that you see in this Tottenham side, which I think is quite amazing. But what is so impressive is that there's just little tweaks every time that just suit the squad that he's playing at. You know, for Inter, example, he switched to a 3-5-2 because he knew that the partnership between Lukaku and Martinez would suit the overall team. You know, and... For instance, at Spurs, he knows that um, he needs Hoiberg and Skip there, so he thought he'd revert back to the three-four-three sort of system, and I think he thinks that will suit Lucas as well, being in that role. And it's just the overall principles stay the same. You know, what why Conte is such a unique coach is because his teams can score from a variety of methods, and we've seen that throughout his career. You know, they can score through direct build-up, um, quick passes in transition that launch really fast counter-attacks really smart positional play in the final third that creates space for a runner like like Barella at Inter Milan or and pressing when the time's right. You know, we saw his Chelsea team who were really aggressive in pressing sort of final third of the pitch for the other team and made life really hard for them, the back line, and try to win the ball as close to the goal as possible. But the Spurs, a little bit, you know, probably 30 yards less in terms of pressing, but are aggressive in the right moment. So overall principles are always the same, you know, stretch the play with the wing-backs, if the op- if the opposition defence, you know, go out, attract if that attracts the opposition's defence out wide, it opens up spaces for the really narrow attackers like Son and Lucas in the half spaces, who can then supply the wing backs, which makes trying to defend Conte teams a massive riddle. And th- that sort of stayed stayed true the, the whole entire time, I'd say. Um, so yeah, principles I'd say are largely the same in terms of the bullet points, but it's just little tweaks at every single club to suit the, the squad he has, which makes Conte so special because he manages to get maximise his resources by playing the same football, which I think is a, an incredible achievement. Yeah, no, it's, it's good to kind of hear that insight in terms of the striker partnerships that you mentioned at previous clubs and what is adapted at Spurs. And yeah, that first wave when he came to Chelsea where he got everybody playing three at the back, essentially, nearly the whole league. Um, yeah. <laughs> because it was so successful, um, his testament to his method and his style and, and how he kind of incorporates that. Um, but one of the one of the, the follow-up question from that, which I thought you could potentially answer is, where does someone like Conte rank in terms of modern managers? I think the Prem at the moment has got its highest ever calibre of, of coaches at present. Talking Pep Guardiola, who is, is a real innovator for the Premier League, uh, Jurgen Klopp as well, um, obviously Thomas Tuchel again, another brilliant coach, and then you know uh, Antonio Conte, um, Ralph Ragnick, who has been uh, influential in the rebirth of German football, and kind of where does Conte rank in that? Because he's he's one of those managers where I don't know, he's never really in the same sort of discussion, perhaps as some of the bigger coaches. 
such as Klopp and Guardiola, perhaps because of lack of continental success um, at all of his clubs. Um, but where would you, you personally rank him, would you say, in terms of the, the modern era coaches? Are we talking top three, top five? It's very arbitrary, but he's just, he, I, I never feel Conte is in that discussion, but he's such a successful coach across multiple countries. Yeah, for, for me, it's, it's hard to say um, an exact position, uh, but yeah. he's he's one of the, he's one of the best modern coaches in the world for me, no doubt. Is I think his his CV isn't as explosive, maybe as a Guardiola, because probably because he he leaves clubs fairly quickly. I'd say you know mm. within that sort of two three year period, so it's constantly like you don't really see the project. I think a lot of managers sometimes get ranked on. Because they've the longevity they've they they've been at club and how much they've improved it over the span of what like mm. six years or something like that. Yeah. Like Guardiola's done at City and Barcelona and like Klopp did at Liverpool, but because Conte keeps leaving clubs quickly, you sort of it, it's weird. We obviously with the fans' perception, they sort of got to start again to proving people if you get what I mean. So yeah, I've, maybe that's potentially why he's not put in that category. But if you if you if you do, and obviously the lack of Champions League as well. You know, winning the Champions League puts you in a certain pedigree as a coach for me. But obviously, Pep, you know, hasn't done that with Man City yet, but he has won it before. But um, Conte winning the Champions League would probably solidify his place in one of the best modern coaches in the world. But he's still right, right up there. And I think, I think Spurs are very, very lucky to have his services as their antics in probably the the whole entire history, the modern history anyway, doesn't necessarily deserve a manager of his calibre. Um, at the club but yeah to answer your question for sure one of one of the best in the world for me he's up there with with Klopp and, Klopp and Guardiola maybe that's biased but um, <laughs> my opinion yeah I think it's that I agree with that lack of continuity has been possibly the reason uh, Klopp at Liverpool currently has been there for now a number of seasons and was at Dortmund for a number of seasons and I think it really allows them to solidify themselves as a legend of that club and almost to say as if you know we talked about earlier you know about the new manager effect, which can last a couple of months or it could last a whole season. And for Conte to almost really prove himself at a club, has he got to be there for maybe more than one season, two seasons, three seasons? Um, and it may it may also suggest, you know, is there another reason why he keeps moving on? I mean, it's usually been due to spats, but if he doesn't feel comfortable at a club that can't provide perhaps the resources that he needs or the signings that he needs is that a limitation of him as a coach which perhaps not because we've talked about how much of an excellent coach and tactician he is but I think you're, you're spot on with that I think at Chelsea he fell out with Marina Granovsky uh, sporting director and was yeah. rumoured to only be communicating with her via Carlo Cudicini who's currently a coach, or <laughs> a coach at the time and I just love that image of Conte Granovsky and Carlo Cudicini probably is Peter Cech in the background with his helmet on, like watching from afar. Like then, then just Carlo Cudicini in the middle, just like <laughs> exchanging, <laughs> exchanging conversations. But no, you are right. In essence, um, probably not about Peter Cech in the background. I doubt that happened. But um, <laughs> in terms of, yeah, I think in terms of because he hasn't stayed at a club and had that chance to almost be a legend. I think because how managers are perceived is that how well they've done at one certain club. If you, I mean, if you look at the best managers of all time, mm. you say it's Alex Ferguson because he did so well at Man United or Pep Guardiola because he did so well at Barcelona or Klopp he did so well at Liverpool, etc. could go on. But like with Conte, you can't really say that. You can't pin him to a certain club. He's just sort of 
a bit of a maverick in that sense. And that's probably because of his personality and that's the way he is. Maybe that's why why he isn't put up there. But I, I don't know if, if you two agree, but I think he's he's one of the best in the world anyway. But it's also a fair point to suggest that maybe when he hasn't got the resources, he he does feel like, you know, he can't get to the levels he wants. And maybe you could suggest that is that is a limitation. But then you look at the best managers in the world and you suggest that all of them have the resources to compete at the top level. But mm, yeah. yeah, that's yeah, that's the thing. You're completely right. I mean, the way football is currently, particularly in the Premier League, like he might feel, well, I am an excellent coach. I feel I can get the best out of players, but it's futile if I am at a club that cannot compete financially at all with the rest of the league. And and that's what we're talking about earlier. It's almost a ticking time bomb, as you said, with him and Levy, because he has, he is at a club that can't compete with the best in the Premier League. And, you know, who knows, they probably will never be able to compete with the likes of City <laughs> because they're owned yeah. by a state. So it's a really interesting point. Yeah, it is. It is. And I mentioned earlier about Levy and though that relationship. And you're right, in terms of just simple facts, Spurs... Obviously, a very a very wealthy club. Obviously, we know that, but um, nothing in terms of Man City and you know Man United and, and, and clubs like that. But if we're not, then we've got to have smart recruitment. And I think he's he must have been promised something. He must have been promised money, or he must have been promised certain players. Because for me, Conte is a very a very smart modern manager. He knows he well, one. He knows that you've got to pay to win, and that's why he demands resources for above that's why he left Inter Milan after winning the league because he knew that they were going to sell Lukaku and going to sell Hakimi and he won't accept that at Spurs and that's he must have been promised one that we weren't going to sell Harry Kane etc and things like that but he must have been promised more because I just don't feel like he would have took this um, t- taken this job without the promise of at least at least something in in the summer because and that excites me as a fan because surely you think Conte wouldn't you know, sign himself up to a potentially, I think it could be a three-year deal or maybe two-and-a-half-year deal without the promise of, of something to com- to try and at least compete with with Man City and Liverpool. But that, that seems, you know, so far off at the minute, even with the, the improvement in recent weeks. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. It's one which you just don't really know how, how to predict. I think in terms of your point before about... Um, players and being at best of the ability it's the argument of there are certain managers in the league that do brilliant jobs at the lower end of the league um Sam Allardyce before he finally got relegated at maximizing resources without very little I think there are some managers as well that even though they are elite they are elite at coaching elite minds if you want to start teaching a high press 343 system to a Vanarama team it's not going to be as easy as teaching Spain or teaching Bayern Munich because the players take on tactical information a lot very differently. So I can understand why coaches like Conte say, well, if I'm not going to get the quality that someone like me deserves, it's not always necessarily a negative that they choose to leave because it works both ways. They're almost two different types of managers, really. You know, Guardiola didn't like his first set of fullbacks. I think he had Zabaleta, Gael Clichy, Bakari Sanya and someone else he went and bought what Benjamin Mendy Carl Walker for a hundred million each I think Danilo may also have come in like he basically revamped all of his fullbacks because it's like he would rather invest in players he knows he can coach and players he doesn't necessarily think he can coach and I think Conte mm-hmm. is from the same sort of cloth because as you said they're the best in Europe and, and in the world so so why should they expect any less 
I think moving on from that point, though, you, you've touched on this a few times, and I think it's time to kind of highlight it, is how is this relationship going to work between Levy and Conte for a few reasons? One, you discussed money a few times. You said, uh, you know, Spurs are likely to open up their wallets. But what about success? I think, you know, Tottenham, we're talking about, they've won one League Cup in 2008. Before then, I can't remember their, their last trophy before that. You know, Conte is a serial winner. And I, it's interesting to kind of note what are we looking at here with Tottenham? Like, what is Levy aiming extremely high for the title, or is he more is he caring about Champions League football? And and that won't really do enough for Conte. I think the the issue for those two, I don't even think it'll be about money and targets. I actually think it could be about expectation because I I don't know unless if Conte's changed his mind, you know, it doesn't really help his own CV if Tottenham come, let's say, fifth and fourth with no trophies in two years. Um, so how do you think that relationship is going to work overall? I know you said it's going to be a divorce, but um, I'm trying to trying to get you to give a bit more detail than that. <laughs> yeah, Spurs, Spurs have some catching up to do in, in terms of expectation of an elite club. Um, you look at what success looks like for Spurs. And for me, that would be consistent Champions League football and competing for the title while winning cup trophies. That for me is success. For, for a club of Spurs at the minute. And Conte's CV and what he wants clearly from his team is that's kind of a normal season for him. That, that That's sort of an average season for him, just mm. just competing at these things. So that's where you're right in the sense that if Levy and Conte are likely to, to have the divorce, I said it probably might be over expectation rather than money because Spurs, as I said, have some serious catching up to do in terms of acting like a serious club. I mean, appointing Conte was a good start, but he is used... He's a, he's a serial winner. He, he, everywhere he's gone, he's won trophies in the way that he wants to pretty consistently. I don't think he's been at a trophy since Juventus, where he hasn't won a trophy, apart from the national team in Italy, obviously. But, yeah, as I said, success for us looks a, and success for him looks a lot different. But in a way, that might be where he wins in a sense. He doesn't have to do as much as he did at other clubs to, to please the fans. You know, mm. even winning the Carabao Cup would, uh, short term, would be a massive success for us just to get that sort of uh, water off the back, or you know, if you get me. Um, but for him, a Carabao Cup is not really much to his CV. So I, I don't know if, if Levy has the expectation of eventually winning the title. I assume he does long term, but in terms of the next three years, you really, even with Conte, you can't, you just can't see us competing in that sort of manner, manner for a title. I can't personally, even with an incredible manager like Conte. And that could eventually see Conte looking at his situation and saying, well, I'm, I've proved that I'm a top quality coach that deserves to be winning leagues within the top five European ones. And I'm not doing that at Spurs. So that's where you could start to see cracks fall. But at the same time, he is on a, I think he's on a contract till 2023 and the 2022-23 season. So it is quite a short-term contract anyway. Maybe he's just hoping for to win us a cup trophy, get get us back in the Champions League and then move on to his, his next venture because we've seen that in all of his career. He's short-term and go. So maybe he's looking for a similar thing here and maybe it was just sort of the first club that came to him and he just was desperate to get back in the game. He's spoken a few times about how he, he's loved for football and he hates being out of a job and Maybe Spurs was sort of the first club that that came begging, and he just he saw the short term opportunity opportunity to improve us. But 
I, I don't know if, if we'd ask him now, I don't know if he could tell us that we can compete for a title within the next two years, but it's still it's still hard hard to see that, isn't it? Even with his coaching abilities. Yeah, I think the way the money is in the the, the the football at the moment, it's quite hard for these elite coaches to move around. So yeah. someone like Conte, right? The money and that you discussed before is expectations. There's so few clubs he can even join. You know, okay, if he's not in Italy, he's already done two clubs there. He's already done two clubs in England. You know, you were then looking at Barca and Real. And if they don't want him, then where else does he go? The rest of the German clubs, aside from Bayern, I don't think could afford him. So it's one of those ones where it's like he's waiting for clubs. But when you get to that level, there's so few clubs that can even afford you or at least uh, give you what you want, you know? Like, I highly doubt, you know, Conte is going to be at someone like... RB Leipzig, I'd, I'd be stunned to see him at a setup like that because of their money and the infrastructure and they're a bit of a selling club and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, you probably are right. The Spurs were in there quickly, which is shows initiative after sacking uh, Nuno and they're in the position um, where they're in now, which is looking quite promising, um, which, which is obviously quite good. I think kind of to, to wrap up with is um, how do you actually think his tenure will go. Now, it's tough for you because you're a fan, obviously, so you're going to start telling me they're going to win the league this year and the, <laughs> FA, the FA Cup League and Champions League treble next season. But it's an interesting one. I think, obviously, it's, it's very hard to predict negatively as a fan of the club. But I think also with someone like Conte, it's also possible to kind of have a positive prediction. Obviously, he will leave, as all managers do. But, uh, you know, w- what do you think he'll actually will achieve there? Will it be the good times for Champions League football, which I think is definitely feasible, um, or will it be even more than that, do you think? No, I'm I'm a realist above all, and I do think it will probably end in tears, probably end in tears, but Conte, that's based off Conte, doesn't really leave clubs smoothly. Um, You know, every, you know, you mentioned Chelsea about the arguments and Inter was quite cutthroat, especially after just winning the league. And, but what I think he will bring us is one hell of a ride. And already a month in, he's been at the club. He's already brought back an energy which I haven't felt since peak Pochettino. Um, and even and before that, I never felt that with Tottenham mm. before peak. So it's only the second time really I'd say that I've felt genuinely excited about the next Tottenham game. If you get what I mean, and excited yeah. for where we could go in the next year and a half, two years, I... I can't say what that will be, whether that's an FA Cup, whether that's a Champions League run, getting in the Champions League. I don't know, but I know that it will probably end sour, probably. But I think what he will give us is, yeah, as I said, a a ride full of energy, fun and probably arguments. But it will be something a lot different to what I've ever felt as a fan. You know, a month in, even a month into Pochettino, I serious doubts we still look like a side that wasn't good enough for the Champions League but the improvements that I've already seen in a month because I watch you know pretty much every game it's I've never seen an improvement as as quick as this I know it sounds quite dramatic but it's just what I'm feeling and yeah he's the energy that he's brought to the club is incredible in such a short space of time so I think it'll end in tears but I think it will be an exciting ride and one that one that we'll look back on in a few years and think wow that that actually happened yeah, definitely. I think um, yeah, it's a good, honest answer. I think um, yeah, I'm, I'm a realist as well with, with my team, and I think yes, yeah, it's, it's. I think it or whatever happens with Antonio Conte, it will be newsworthy. 
either in terms of success or perhaps in terms of failure or a random departure, depending on how things go. Because I think with Tottenham, there are a lot of things which are delicately poised. Obviously, Kane's future and just generally this season, they're doing quite well now. But, you know, what happens if it's another year without Champions League football? And how is that going to be resolved? If Kane leaves, will he then go? Who will they even sign to supplement the great players that they already have? Are we going to start seeing world stars join Spurs? We haven't really seen a true like guy I've thought like wow obviously some of those players have ended up being that way but not a true superstar sort yeah. of sign for Spurs in, in, a, in a while mm-hmm. um, interesting to see if that comes in or are we going to see more Romero's guys who are known in Europe as being really the next big thing per se and spending big money on that and then and seeing them play that way only time uh, will tell and those the star men of Spurs you know if you think about attack and sense are you know, Hyung Sung is actually 29, which I looked at before this episode and was surprised by just because of how youthful he looks, I think. Um, Moore is also 29, Kane is 28. So, you know, the modern footballer perhaps can play until mid-30s, but you still still think with Spurs, as much as it's a potential project for anyone, Conte, whoever comes in, their key players are actually getting a bit older. So it really is a, a consideration to, to think about. Um, in terms of squad building for Spurs, I think. But what one final question for the both of you is that in two weeks' time, we have my favourite derby in the Premier League outside of um, my own team's derby because we're now in League One. Who is going to... I'll start with you, Will. Predictions for the North London derby in two weeks. Oh, I, n- I never like predicting North London derbies. Always ends up in a... <laughs> especially not when I'm being recorded. But... Um, <laughs> um, you know, I'm actually going to the game, so I can't wait for that. But um, it's hard to say. You know, Arsenal, quietly, I have been impressed with their season, apart from the first few weeks, obviously. But yeah, really look, they look like the team that Arteta was trying to be for, for two years and that they finally feel like they have the player profiles to match that. And I'm, I've been impressed with their work. But at our stadium, I think I think I could see us just edging the win. Just, just edging the win. I think Conte... It's a lot more of an experienced tactician, Arteta, and you usually see when Arteta goes against these sort of experienced modern tacticians that Conte usually gets the better, um, um, not Conte, sorry, managers of that calibre, you know, Pep, Klopp, etc. usually get the better of him. So hopefully that stays the same. Mm. Cheers. Uh, Northland derbies, I think, you know, in our heyday under Arsene Wenger, we hardly won at the lane. I, th- I, I can't remember the precise number. I think Wenger may only have won there four times or three times. Not many. A lot of draws and a few losses. Mm. Um, often the home side has a very strong advantage, which leans towards Spurs. Um, I would probably go for a draw. I think one thing Arteta has changed, which you highlighted in terms of player player profiles, is he's gone away from home and has decided to play his normal style. Earlier on in his tenure, he tended to go away, especially to City, Chelsea and Liverpool. Played quite conservatively, did that in the run to the FA Cup, where we sat very deep, played in the counter. This year in particular, we got smashed by Liverpool, but he actually went for them, went for City and we actually played very, very well. Um, I think he will try to do the same at Spurs. Um, without Thomas Party, the African Cup of Nations, Gabriel suspended, mm. he probably would lean towards a spur victory, but I'll probably go with a draw, an eventful draw as well. Harry Kane will probably score again, 
can't stop scoring in that fixture. Um, <laughs> not, and same with Lacazette. I think Lacazette's got five and five against Spurs or something. Or So, yeah, it will be interesting to see who comes out on top. But I'm going to go with 1-1, one, one, I reckon. Okay, very pragmatic. Um, well, I think that's all... Um, we ha- all, all the time we have for today. Thank you, uh, Will, for joining us um, this evening to talk about Antonio Conte and all things Tottenham Hotspur. Um, please check out Will's numerous articles on um, breaking the lines. Um, he's got numerous articles on Spurs and many players within the Tottenham setup. Um, coming up in our managers under the Spotlight series, we'll also be covering uh, Mark Robbins um, of Coventry City as well as David Moyes and Bruno Lars. So please follow Breaking the Lines and Why Football for all all upcoming content um, and for all other musings. Thank you all for listening. And again, Will, thank you so much. Um, But yeah, we'll see you all next time.